بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين Alhamdulillah, we are able to start our session once again, and I hope that insha'Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would be blessing us and enabling us to reflect on His word and insha'Allah implement the teachings of Quran in our life. We quickly studied verses 10 and 11 of Surah Luqman in the last session and as, as you remember I said this is to familiarize ourselves with these two verses so that you can have chance to think about them so today inshallah we want to uh, reflect more on these two verses and inshallah then proceed to the story of Luqman Al-Hakim the wise let's first listen to the verse 10 and 11 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains his dignity, his endless power, his absolute authority by referring to part of his creation which for us would be easier to understand and that is the nature, that is the physical world, the creation of skies, the creation of mountains, the creation of different types of living beings, sending rain and growing useful pairs of plants. As you see, these are all related to the world around us or above us. And as I said previously, this magnificent physical world compared to the K 
kingdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the angels, to the spirits is very very little and still it is great still we don't know even the scope of the physical world let alone the spiritual world okay the first thing is skies خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ بِغَيْرَ عَمَدٍ تَرَوْنَهَا he has created the skies, the heavens, without any pillars that you may see. We know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created many skies. And everything that is visible for us even if it is even if it is with the equipped eyes with telescopes or whatever is considered as the lowest sky the Quran says we have decorated the lowest a sky with the stars which are like lights so above this sky are other skies up to seven and some of them or actually more of most of them are not physical in this physical world where we have Earth, and then we have our solar system, and then we have our galaxy, and then we have many, many other galaxies. We don't see any pillar putting these galaxies and these systems and stars, planets, all in their place. It may look to us that they are all loose. They are all baseless, they are all just scattered around but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to a kind of pillar which is there and we cannot see he says خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ بِغَيْرَ عَمَدٍ تَرَوْنَهَا he created the heavens without any pillar that you may see what does it mean it means that there are pillars but pillars which are not visible so allah has not used bricks or iron plaster concrete to be like pillars but there is a pillar that we cannot see and this refers to gravity which was not known to the people of that time and this gravity is a pillar that helps a stability of everything in this creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concentrates on our own planet. So first is the issue of a stability of the whole universe. And second, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to our own planet, the earth. And Allah refers to the function of mountains, which is very important scientifically. One reason that our earth, our planet is not shaking all the time, has some kind of stability, therefore we can have convenience of life, is the existence of mountains. Allah says, وَأَلْقَى فِي الْأَرْضِ رَوَاسِيَ أَنْ تَمِيدَ بِكُمْ He has cast firm mountains in the earth. Why? And تَمِيدَ بِكُمْ So that the earth would not shake with you. It would remain stable and you can have convenient life. And this refers also to the position of human beings. That Allah has made earth and right from the beginning part of his plan was that this earth should be a place on which human beings can live comfortably. If you reflect on these two seemingly irrelated things, you find that indeed they are very much related. At the beginning, at the beginning it may seem that creation of skies without pillars that we may see and creation of the mountains on the earth are not that much related. But indeed they are very much related. First of all, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as I said, is coming down, is focusing more on what is nearer to us. Starting with whole creation of heavens and then focusing on earth, our planet. But secondly, something which is very amazing is that in both cases, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to the significance of stability. This is very important for me. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I think, is indicating the significance of stability. If the skies are stable, it's because Allah has planned pillars which are not visible. If our earth is stable, it's because Allah has created mountains. We human beings are very much in need of a stability. A stability in our physical environment and a stability in our spiritual environment. 
stability within and without. If all the stars and planets were not stable, going everywhere, hitting each other, crashing, we could not survive, or even if we were able to survive, we could not have peace of mind. And if our earth was all the time shaking, and we had all different types of earthquake, we would not again have ability to survive, or at least we would not be able to have a convenient and comfortable life. In the same way, human beings need a stability in their spiritual life. And that is when you have firm beliefs and connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Having firm beliefs make your position firm. You know where you stand. If you know what is your origin, what is your current situation, and where are you going, you are very stable. Imam Ali alayhi salam said, Rahimallahum ra'an arafa min ayna wa fi ayna wa ila ayna. May Allah's mercy be upon the one who knows where he's from and where he is now and where he is heading. These three different types of understanding of our origin, of our present situation, and of our future gives us a stability. I know where do I belong. I know that I am part of a system. I am not created by chance. I am not just thrown to this world. I have been created for purpose and I belong to a system. And then, in response to this, when I remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I connect myself back to my origin, I would have absolute stability, which we call it etminan. Tranquility. الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَتَطْمَئِنُّ قُلُوبُهُمْ بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ أَلَا بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ تَطْمَئِنُّ الْقُلُوبِ Those who believe and their hearts come at rest by the remembrance of Allah. Beware that it is only by the remembrance of Allah that hearts can come at rest, can have tranquility, can have peace. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to something even nearer to us. So coming from old skies to the earth and then from earth coming closer Allah has spread On the earth, different 
types of dub. Dub in Arabic comes from the root dub. Dabba yadubbo means something which moves and has some kind of motion. We say dabba means moved. Dabba is something which moves. It can be used for any living being which moves, including insects. And it's sometimes used more specifically for animals, like sheep, like goat, like cow. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the fact that he has created different types of living beings, different types of animals on this earth and spread them. Not that Allah kept all of them in one part of the world, in one, for example, continent, in one country. No, they are scattered all around the earth. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala connects a sky to the earth, starting with the skies. Then coming to the earth and mountains and a spread of different types of animals, then Allah says, وَأَنزَلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً He has sent down from the sky water. This is very beautiful. So earth and sky are connected. There are things which go up there are things which come down. There are many things actually going up and down. Many, many things. In the end of Surah Talaq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allahu alladhi khalaqa sab'a samawat wa min al-ardh mithlahunna yatanazzalu al-amru baynahunna لتعلموا أن الله على كل شيء قدير وأن الله قد أحاط بكل شيء علما. الله has created seven heavens and from the earth like them is seven earth and affairs come down between them. These affairs are very important. These are the affairs which in Laylatul Qadr, they come down also. And now, Every affair is coming down in the night of Qadr. So there are many things which happen between these skies and the earth. One of the things which is very obvious for us is rain, which is something coming down from the lowest sky to the earth, which is material. But there are many, many other things. Rain is 
so important that in many verses of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to sending rain. And here is only one case. There are many other references to rain in the Quran. وَأَنزَلْنَا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَأَنْبَطْنَا فِيهَا مِنْ كُلِّ زَوْجٍ كَرِيمٍ We have sent down from heaven water. And this water is a very blessed creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's physically very blessed. It's spiritually very blessed and you find in different religious traditions that water is used for ritual evolution. It not only cleans physically but it also is planned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us in our process of seeking spiritual purity. In the form of wudu, in the form of qusl. And you find this in Christianity, in Judaism. Water is very blessed. So, this water is sent down, and therefore, plants can grow. فَأَنْبَتْنَا فِيهَا مِنْ كُلَّ زَوْجٍ كَرِيمٍ we have caused to grow therein, I mean the earth, من كل كريم, of every noble kind, every useful kind of plants. We have zod here, which means pear, and this is also another scientific miracle of the Qur'an, in addition to referring to gravity, to the role of the mountains, instability of the earth, Allah refers to the fact that plants are created in pairs. And then Allah says, Karim, which means noble, generous. These plants are very generous, very useful. For our survival and even for our psychological convenience. You don't need just to eat the plants or say that these plants are eaten by animals and then we use those animals. Even if we don't eat them and they are not eaten by animals that can be used as our food these plants are useful. The role that they have in producing oxygen and the role that they have in bringing peace to us. Just looking at plants, their color, their beautiful design brings peace to us. So much so that even if we don't have, you know, real plants, we try to use artificial plants and flowers in our houses, in our offices, or sometimes even a drawing or a picture of them. Because they make us relax. How 
beautiful it is that when we are connected to nature we are at peace it is a kind of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whether we know it or not to be in nature to look at nature to walk in a forest or in a park to be next to a river to climb a mountain gives you some kind of peace why because you are remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his creation nature very easily connects you to the Lord but when we are all surrounded by the things that we have produced you feel that there is not that ease and comfort when you are surrounded by the houses and buildings and cars and roads and computers everything that we have created because here although the materials are taken from nature but the forms preoccupy our mind more than the raw materials and the forms are given by us although we are creatures which belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but the fact that we are standing between them and our Lord makes them less powerful means of remembrance of Allah compared to where we don't stand between them and Allah and that is nature nature is very very powerful means of reminding us of our Lord so these plants are karim these are noble these are signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala full of mysteries full of magnificence and only part of it is so far known to us we cannot claim that we have understood everything about even a single plant let alone to say that we have known all types of plants with all the mysteries that they have okay this is the creation of Allah we just referred to part of it but this is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like for example you know I may put my hand on something very great although my hand is put on part of it but I say for example this is a house my hand is put only on one brick or one window or I am putting my finger into it but I say this is a house or I point to a mountain and I say this is a mountain here we have just mentioned few items but we are pointing to the whole universe this is the universe made by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so tell me tell me what 
others have created. What your idols, your lords that you think that they are your lords have created. And this shows that one main requirement for being a lord is to be a creator. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our creator. So we should submit ourselves to him. We should obey him. We should worship him. Who else has had any role in our creation so that he can claim our obedience and our worship? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Nay, the people who are unjust are in manifest error. It's not something difficult to understand. Therefore, it's, Allah says, this is manifest error. They don't say, there are others who are also creators. They know that there is no other creator. So why still they worship them and obey them? Just a very obvious mistake. No one can say, I believe that there are other creators. And still, unfortunately, they forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or they associate partners to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a manifest error. And what is the result? The result is that they do injustice to themselves. These are zalimun. They have done injustice to themselves. And inshallah, when we talk about the advice of Luqman in the verse 13, we would come back to this concept and notion of zulm, injustice, which is in the first place to ourselves. We are doing zulm to ourselves. Zalam to nafsi. Rabbana innana zalamna anfusana. We are doing injustice to ourselves by making this obvious mistake. Hada khalqullah. فَأَرُونِي مَاذَا خَلَقَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ دُونِهِ بَلِ الظَّالِمُونَ فِي ظَلَالٍ مُبِينَ Okay, now we are ready to move on to the wisdom. If you remember, we said at the end of the verse 9, Allah says, وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ Two elements are there. Izza, dignity, the fact that Allah is powerful, strong, never defeated, and the fact that Allah is wise. We created to his magnificent creation to show his izza. Of course, hikmah is also there. But more obviously, we talk about hikmah in this verse, verse 12. Let us listen to the verse 12.
وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا لُقْمَانَ الْحَكْمَةِ And we have certainly given, granted Luqman wisdom. أَنِشْخُرْ لِلَّهِ Saying, be grateful. وَمَنْ يَشْكُرْ فَإِنَّمَا يَشْكُرُ لِنَفْسِهِ And the one who is thankful, who is grateful, he is only grateful for his own soul or for himself. وَمَنْ كَفَرَ And who is ungrateful, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ غَنِيٌّ حَمِيدٌ Then surely Allah is rich and praised. This ayah by itself is in need of hours of reflection. I wish we all reflect in between this session and next session on this ayah as much as we can. Just to begin with in the next few minutes, I say just some beginning this for the discussion, and then inshallah we will have some time for question and answer. But please, please reflect on all these verses, especially this verse, because it has great impact on our life. And I have always been, at least I can say in the last 10-15 years, of the idea that shukr, gratefulness, is one of the pillars of success in this world and the hereafter. And the other pillar is humbleness. And these two are very well connected. Maybe, inshallah, there will be a time in future to talk about these two and how they are connected. But just please bear in mind, humbleness and gratefulness. If you have these two, you have everything. If one of these two is missing, we cannot succeed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, he has given Luqman wisdom. What was the core of this wisdom? What was the main elements of this wisdom? Inshallah we will talk about them. We will refer to what we have in Hadith about wisdom given to Luqman. Part of it also is mentioned in these next few verses. But the whole point in giving these things which were elements and the core of wisdom to Luqman was to make him grateful. And 
So the one who is wise is thankful. So the whole point is Anishkurlillah. So do you think there can be any wise person who is not thankful? No. Because Allah says, وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا لُغْمَانَ الْحِكْمَ أَنِشْكُرْلِلَّهِ Wisdom directly is connected to thankfulness. If there was something greater than thankfulness, Allah would have mentioned that here. So every wise person is thankful. So this is a result. This is a sign of wisdom. What are the requirements of wisdom? What are the elements, ingredients, if you like, of wisdom? Inshallah, we'll talk about them later. But the sign, the result of wisdom is to be grateful. Who is benefiting from this gratefulness? Is the one who is thankful benefiting or the one who is thanked? If I am grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, am I benefiting or he is benefiting? For sure, I am benefiting. The one who is thankful is thankful for his own sake. He is benefiting himself. In our human relations, sometimes the other person is also benefiting. For example, if I thank my teacher, then my teacher also is encouraged. So maybe he gains some psychological strengths when he sees that I'm grateful. But in the case of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he doesn't even need any encouragement. We cannot say that Allah is encouraged when we thank Him. Allah is spiritually or psychologically um, gaining some energy when we thank Him. No. He doesn't gain anything. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't benefit from anything. He is self-sufficient. He is ghani. He is rich. And whether we thank Him or not, He is praised. He is hamid. Allah may not be thanked by us because we are not grateful all the time. Many of us are ungrateful and even those who are grateful, they cannot be grateful enough. But still he is praised. Hamid. Who understands how praised he is? First of all, he himself. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Who is saying this? Allah himself. Allah doesn't need me and you acknowledge His greatness. Allah doesn't need me and you praise Him. He Himself knows how He is. When you are a person of honor and dignity, whether people acknowledge it or not, it's not important for you. Imam Qazim salam says in a hadith that if you have a lo'lo, a pearl, 
a jewelry, for example, in your hand, and people say this is a walnut, you would not feel bad. You will not say, oh, because people say this is a walnut, so it's not a jewelry. Yes, maybe you feel bad why people don't realize this. But that is secondary. You are 100% sure that it's a jewelry, so you are still happy. And if you have a walnut and all people say this is a jewelry, you must not be deceived. You must not feel, oh, because people say this is a jewelry, so it's a jewelry. No. Well, you know that this is not... So why when people say this is a jewelry, you become happy? You must be concerned with truth, with reality. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether we understand or not, whether we acknowledge or not, is praiseworthy. Who understands this better than anyone else? Allah himself. So he doesn't need anyone to praise him because he knows what he is. And then angels, and then prophets, and saints. So, he is Ghani, and he is Hamid. He is rich, absolutely rich, free from any need, and he is absolutely praised. So, he doesn't need us to be grateful. It is for our own sake. It's the secret of our own success, if we are grateful. وَمَنْ يَشْكُرْ فَإِنَّمَا يَشْكُرُ لِنَفْسِهِ If you know what you have been given, if you appreciate what you have been given, then you better use it, you better utilize it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you more. وَلَئِنْ شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ But if you are ungrateful, وَلَئِنْ كَفَرْتُمْ إِنَّ عَذَابِ لَشَدِيدٌ Then, the punishment is that we would lose that blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we would have to be also answerable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We may be not only taken that blessing, we may even be punished and disciplined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fact that Allah gives you a blessing and don't, you don't appreciate it. Allah gives you Quran and you don't appreciate it. And you reject it, like the people of Quraysh who didn't believe. So it's not just they say, okay, we have Quran, we don't benefit from the Quran. No, then they will be answerable. And they will be punished if they have no answer. In which case, in this case, of course, they don't have any answer. So, if we benefit, if we appreciate, if we are grateful, we will be given more and more. If not, the blessing is stopped, it may be taken away, and then we go downward. Inshallah, we will talk about this later. Let me stop here, but just re reading one more time this beautiful verse together. وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا لُقْمَانَ الْحِكْمَةِ أَنِشْكُرْ if you want to connect, you say, وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا لُقْمَانَ الْحِكْمَةَ أَنِشْكُرْ لِلَّهِ وَمَنْ يَشْكُرْ فَإِنَّمَا يَشْكُرُ لِنَفْسِهِ وَمَنْ كَفَرَ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ غَنِيٌّ حَمِيدٌ So I stop here, and then we go to the questions. If you remember, we had some questions. 
from previous session. Actually, we have many questions from previous session. We will do our best as much as we can. And I'm always thankful to you for many reasons. One is for your beautiful questions. The first question from last week is, is shaitan an evil nature within man himself or is it an external force or being? What is the real nature of shaitan? Okay. Shaitan has different meanings. If we mean by shaitan, the Satan, a bliss that is independent from him and beings. That is an external being created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from fire. Khalaqatani minnar. He is created from fire. He is a jinn. And he used to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for 6,000 years. But just worshipping, not becoming a servant. And therefore when he was tested, because he didn't have that humbleness, he unfortunately failed. And therefore he was asked to leave heaven and unfortunately instead of being repentant, he said, I will do my best to deceive human beings, Adam and his children. He said, So, this is something independent from us, which comes and brings temptations to us, wants to deceive us. But we have also human beings who are Satan. We have jinns who are Satan, other than Iblis, and these people are followers of Satan. When we say, for example, in Surah Nas, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ مَلِكِ النَّاسِ إِلَاهِ النَّاسِ مِنْ شَرِّ الْوَسْوَاسِ الْخَنَّاسِ الَّذِي يُبَسْوِسُ فِي صُدُورِ النَّاسِ مِنَ الْجِنَّةِ وَالنَّاسِ those who bring bad ideas to our breast, to our hearts, who bring temptations from jinn or ants, these are also shaitans. So, in this broader sense, shaitan is not one person. Shaitan can be many, many, many. Even my own self can be shaitan, can be satanic. But there is one particular being independent from us, which is a bliss, which is great shaitan. And that is something which uh, is going to remain there till the time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows towards the end of the world, inshallah, hopefully, Shaitan would uh, stop because when he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give him chance to remain till the day of resurrection and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says 
Okay, you have been given chance to remain till يوم الوقت المعلوم a known and a fixed time. Allah doesn't say the day of resurrection. So that is a time before the day of resurrection in Akhir zaman that inshallah there will be a time that shaitan would not be able to bring bad temptations anymore. Second question. How much power has shaitan got over human beings? Shaitan can only bring temptations, nothing more. Shaitan has no authority or, you know, control. The Quran says that on the day of uh, judgment, shaitan would say, "Ma min sultan." I didn't have any authority over you. I didn't have any control. It's not that we are like puppets in the hand of shaitan. If it was the case, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not question us. No, we have our self-authority. We have ability to resist against the temptations of shaitan. The shaitan says, La talumuni fusakum. Do not blame me, blame yourself. I only called you. The other question is, Allah is all-powerful. Why does he allow so much injustice to take place? In the world, for example, in different parts of the world, in different countries. And the answer is that, yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is powerful. But at the same time, he is wise. Allah has created a system. Part of this system is that human beings must be free. So that they can be tried and tested. To see if they want to choose the way of perfection voluntarily or not. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had interfered in every case of injustice to stop the one who is unjust, then there is no place for freedom. If everyone who wants to do injustice is right away stopped or killed, then there would not be a real test. So the choice is either we want to have human beings with free will or we don't want free will. We don't have any third option. If you want to have free will, you have to allow that this may have some bad outcomes. This doesn't mean that you approve those bad comes, but you allow that as an implication. If I let my child to be free, for example, free to speak, so sometimes he may use words in a wrong way, but I have to accept this, but then I correct him. I give him instruction in advance what type of words to use and also later I will correct him if he has made mistake. But if I stop my child from talking, he never learn how to talk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us freedom, has given us instructions and guidance 
but he lets us to exercise this free will. Even he lets us to disobey him. Why? Because this is the only way that then the obedience would become significant. If everyone was forced to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this obedience didn't have value that much that can make human beings greater than even angels. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without approving injustice to the slightest still lets the unjust people to continue does not interfere all the time. Sometimes he interferes but not all the time so that the natural course of affairs can go on and all human beings can be tested in this regard. The other question is if someone who kills herself and she dies and she's a Shia, how can the child pray for that person? Yes. Killing oneself, committing suicide is a, is a sin. And of course you can pray for a sinful person to be forgiven. Whether your prayer is answered or not is up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it doesn't mean that you cannot ask for forgiveness. Because you know that this is a great sin to kill yourself. But this is not like shirk. In the case of someone who is mushrik, someone who is an idol worshipper or an atheist, we can argue from some verse of the Quran about the story of Prophet Ibrahim that maybe we cannot ask forgiveness for them. But for a person who is sinful, because for example, he has committed suicide, you can ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive them. And inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we hope, would forgive such a person who was a believer, but for some reason at that time made a mistake. Maybe she was, for example, under great pressure, she lost her control, whatever. I don't want to defend such an act. Obviously, this is wrong, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows better what was happening to that person. Maybe that person, before his or her death, realized that it was a mistake, but it was too late. In any case, there is no problem for us to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive such person, and inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would forgive, and we should always be hopeful and pray for the people who have died, especially those that are like our parents, as you have in this question. Inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive all of us. Inshallah Allah will forgive all the marhumin. Those who have been sinful, inshallah Allah forgive their sins. Those who have been pious, inshallah, would reward them uh, greatly. And he is the most forgiving, the most merciful. The other question is, are we allowed to take money for teaching deen, religion, or Quran, or reciting majalis? 
Yes. Normally, uh, the view of our ulama, our jurists, is that for teaching something which is obligatory, we should not charge. Of course, everyone has to refer to his manager, but I'm giving you the general view. If something is obligatory, like for example, the basic principles of faith that everyone must know, how to say his prayer, how to fast, everything which is obligatory, then it's a responsibility of the knowledgeable person also to teach people how to perform their obligatory acts. So if for per person A, for example, person A is compelled to say his prayer, then for person B who knows how to teach him is obligatory to teach him because that person cannot know by himself. So do you see the point, the link? The knowledgeable person has responsibility to educate the one who doesn't know how to perform his obligatory responsibilities. So if the knowledgeable person has such a responsibility, this is his religious requirement, he cannot charge people for this. He is carrying out his own responsibility. If I have to teach you how to say your prayer, then this is my responsibility. I cannot charge you for that. Can I charge you for saying my daily prayers? No. But then what some ulama say is that the only thing that they can charge is for teaching something which is not obligatory. For example, the basic of prayer is obligatory. But for example, qunut, which is mustahab. So it is not wajib to teach you how to say your qunut. Or for example, it's obligatory for me to teach you, but it's not obligatory for me to come to you. You can come to me and ask me. So if I come to you, then I can charge for transportation, for example. It's not only for teaching, it's even for doctors, medical doctors, the same thing. To offer treatment is obligatory. How can I as a Muslim say I don't offer you treatment if you don't pay me? As a Muslim, I have to offer my help to one who is ill, whether he can afford to pay me back or not. This is my responsibility. But if you say, for example, uh, you come to me, then the medical doctor can charge you. Or if medical doctor, you know, buys some medicine for you, or you know, buys some equipment, something like that. So there are sometimes some, uh, you know, additional things for which you can charge, but not for the obligatory part of it. This is the normal view. So coming back to your question, is it allowed to get money for teaching Deen or Quran or reciting Majalis? The answer is that if what you teach is obligatory to be known and therefore for you to teach, normally it is said it is not possible to charge. But if it is not uh, obligatory or there are obligatory and non-obligatory things there, then there is chance to charge. 
But some ulama, this is the normal view, but some ulama have another view and they say uh, it's uh, possible to charge because of the uh, fact that these people also have to uh, survive and when they carry out their responsibility, it is true that this is their responsibility, but it doesn't mean that we should not help them. Either the uh, public treasury has to support them, or if the public treasury is not support them, then the responsibility of community people or people who benefit from the services. So there is a, a whole discussion here, but something which is the core of the question, which is, I think, in the mind of the person who has asked this question, is this beautiful idea in Islam that teaching, offering medical treatment, anything like this, must be looked at as a responsibility. It is my responsibility to give this service to the people who need knowledge, to the people who need treatment, to the people who need any service. Don't look at it as a favor that you are giving to that person. Look at, at that you are carrying out your own responsibility. The other question is, Salamu alaikum, I hear you are in London, are you lecturing for Alba? Yes, inshallah I will have from Wednesday night five lectures in Edara Jafariya in South London and the topic is the signs of true believers. So inshallah pray that these lectures go well. Okay, the time is over and we have uh, much more questions, so inshallah we will discuss them uh, in next session. I am very sorry that we don't have time more to take more questions. Uh, I can give you know one line answer to questions so that I answer all the questions, but because these questions are so beautiful, uh, so I discuss them in few minutes, as you see, so that the uh, question is you know well treated. I don't want just to say one word or one line and then go on to the next question because I think these questions have some rights that we should observe. But uh, uh, if you like me to just give one line or just two, three words, you know, please write to me so that inshallah in future I change my policy. So far my policy is to explain enough every question and then proceed to the next one. Thank you very much for your attention. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be with you all the time. May Allah support you and your family and your friends, your community. May Allah forgive all marhumin. May Allah heal all brothers and sisters and all people of the world. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive our sins. May Allah enable us to live a life of piety, a life of gratefulness and wisdom. Wa akhiru da'awana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.